0: If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Colossians. I want to speak for a while out of the book of Colossians. Read a couple of settings out of the first chapter, the 13th verse of the first chapter. And who delivered us out of the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of Of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. The same one here, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For all things were created in Him, the things in heaven, the things on earth, visible, the invisible whether thrones or lordships or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through and because of Him and for Him, and He is before all things, and all things consist in Him. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that He might be preeminent in all things I want to read just one more verse over the 26th verse of the same chapter And the mystery having been hidden from the ages and from the generations but now is and was revealed to his saints to whom God desired to make known and I'm going to stop right there let's bless the Lord thank you Lord we address right now the one who is preeminent in all things. You're above all things. All things are because of you and for you. Lord, this word that we will speak this morning is because of you. Lord, I pray that you will move in it, that you will touch our hearts, cause us to realize even more of who you are and your goodness. And graciousness in our life. And we thank you for it, Jesus. Amen. And amen. And amen. I love these scriptures. The image of the invisible God. You could never see God. You could never know Him in that way. But He came in flesh. We call it the incarnation God becoming flesh. And dwelling among us. One of the key things that, let me pull out of here, is that he is the head of the church. And we've been talking about the church the last several weeks. When we got established here, I felt like maybe we need to talk about the structure of the church again and what God did and how God established church and what he expects church to be. We know that church is not the building. We know church is the ecclesia, those that are called out to him. And so he has some expectations on the church. He has some design for the church. I said something last week that I thought about again, is that every church or every ecclesia group of people that becomes a church is placed by God in the kingdom for his use, for the furthering of the kingdom. And I think sometimes we think church is about us. We think church might be about community, but really the church is to further the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Can you say amen right there? And so as we were going through some things last week, Isaiah 61 and Luke 4 popped up. And, and in that, we just went over this briefly. I want to go over a little bit more in depth this morning. The Isaiah 61, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The Lord took the scroll, Luke 4, and he took the scroll and he read from Isaiah 61, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And I like the first phrase, to preach, to preach. And so I want to talk about these aspects of preaching this morning because it's part of the church. There are three aspects that I believe is here that we can find here, maybe more, but I just want to talk about these three major aspects, one of them being the gospel itself, about remission or remission of sin, and the third one about revelation. And so each of these we find in the Lord's message, in the Lord's ministry, and I I, I want to draw that out a little bit. I believe that the church should be taking the Lord's example, amen. I believe that we should look like Him, that we should act like Him, that this church should be uh, known as those people who are following the pattern of the Lord Jesus Christ, And so again, in church, he doesn't just say, establish whatever you want to, do whatever feels good to you. Whatever community thinks you should do, this is what you should do. Uh, Because after all, we have to reach community. No, that's not what church is about. Church is about a design that God has laid down, he's put together. And in that church, he wants to accomplish certain things. I don't know what will happen here. Of course, we are a smaller group now. Since we moved, we have some stayed home and we've lost some. We don't know if the Lord will fill this place or not. But that's not the aspiration of why we are here. We're not here to fill a building. We're here to take a place where God has established us to be a church that is productive for Him and for His kingdom. Everybody say amen. And so whether that's fill the church or whether that's uh, just exactly what we have right now, that doesn't matter is what matters is that we are faithful to what he has positioned us to be even in this little community right here so god chose the manner of delivery he could have just said read a book he could have just said read the bible of course the early church you understand did not have a bible for 300 years they had no bible so just read a bible wasn't going to work for them there had to be something, some way of communication of God's will to the church and God's purpose for the church had to be communicated to them, and God chose a way to do that. And so this, this first stanza of what Jesus says when he reads Isaiah 61, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach. This is the manner of communication that God has chosen. And so I want to talk about that a little bit. I, I think we're church in general has, has sort of lost this idea of anointed preaching. And I can't say every time that I get up here, I'm just heavily anointed. But there is this thing called anointed preaching. It comes from the Lord. He has anointed me to preach. And so this word preaching is the Greek word keroso, And it's to proclaim. It's to herald, preach a message publicly with conviction and with persuasion and with passion. I don't like to hear the Gospel preached when it's not preached with passion. I don't like to hear the Gospel that's not persuasive. I don't like to hear a Gospel that sounds like you're watching TV. There's something about an anointing and the Word of God coming together that can grip a heart and change a heart and get into your mind and your spirit and your heart more than just something passing by that really doesn't affect you that much. An anointed Word of God is powerful. For the Word of God is powerful, right? Sharper than any two-edged sword and will pierce and divide into our lives. So, again, the early church, 300 years, had no Bible to do that, the Word of God. How did the Word of God get to them? It got to them by the preaching of the apostles, by the preaching of the pastors, evangelists, teachers, and, and, and the prophets. This is how the gospel got to them. And it was anointed. And it moved them. And it changed them. And it turned the world upside down for Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians, 1st chapter and 2nd verse, God was pleased that in the foolishness of preaching, That he would confound the wisdom of men. See, this is what he chose to do. And you could look at that and say, it's just silly. That somebody gets a microphone or maybe they don't even have a microphone. Maybe they're just standing in front of an audience and they're proclaiming the word of God under an anointing, under an unction, under something that's more than just, just talking and, 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 and having, you know, just a group session. But there's this anointing about the word of God. And, and I believe it goes all the way back. It goes, God chose it. He chose the foolishness. Now preaching is not foolish. But the world looks at the format, the world looks at me standing here and you sitting there this morning as people that are hearing preaching and they're saying that is nothing but foolishness. But it's what God has chosen to confound the wisdom of men and to speak the Word of God into our hearts. And so we can take that and say, well, I just don't believe it that way. Well, you're just going a different way than what God's going. The Romans, the 10th chapter and the 14th verse, it says this, How can they hear without a preacher? And so again, didn't have a Bible like we this morning, open up to such and such. Didn't have that. But the preacher got up and he began to proclaim the word of God. And so in the proclamation that was anointed of God, and I've heard a lot of preaching that has not been anointed and I don't have any use for it. I've heard preaching that they'll use scripture and verse and thing, but but there is no anointing of the power of God to reach your soul in it. It doesn't touch us in any way. But how can you be saved? Romans, the 10th chapter, is about salvation. How can you be saved unless you hear? And how can you hear without a preacher? And so this is what God has chosen. Paul claims in this text that we just, we just read, Paul claims that he himself is a preacher. One that proclaims. One that publicly announces and heralds and preaches a message with conviction and passion and with persuasion. See, counseling is good. And there are times that we need to sit and we need to counsel. Just godly wisdom. We need it. The church needs men that, that can give godly counsel. And we have in this church... Several men here that, that are qualified to give you some good, sound counsel. And it's needed. We've got to have it in the church. Scripture discussion is challenging to us. Sometimes we'll sit around after church and we'll just, we'll just sit in chairs and just talk about the Scripture. Maybe what was said. One of the thoughts. Uh, and we begin to go over a discussion in Scripture. And it, and it challenges us because we, we see it differently. Another man sees Just a little different angle, and and that's great discussion. It's good for us. It is challenging to us. Bible studies are good. Home Bible studies are good if we have somebody who knows what they're doing. If we have a teacher. Because home Bible studies can go a wrong direction really quick. But studying the Bible is always right. It's always good. But let me say this, it's not enough. Anointed preaching is essential for the life of the church. It started out that way, and God hasn't changed His format. Anointing preaching, anointed preaching is what God has chose to stir the hearts of men. I know if you've been in church long enough, you've watched enough people, there are those that have a certain charisma um, that can make you move your emotions. They can have you crying. Uh, they can have you laughing. They can have you feeling sorrowful for things. And I've been and sat under that. I worked with a man who was a professional at that. He didn't know the Lord, but he was a professional at moving people. I mean, that is just the opposite of what God is trying to do with his gospel. He's not trying to move your emotions. He's trying to move your spirit inside of you to get a hold of something down deep in you that's not a shallow surface thing, but he wants his word to get down inside of you. And he does that with anointed preaching. Amen. Amen. And so it's one of the things that I believe is gifted to the church, Ephesians, the fourth chapter, when Paul says... That before the Lord ascended on high, He gave gifts to men. And then He goes on to say He gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some teachers, some pastors. But it wasn't just that He gave those men, it was the cause that He gave those men to the church for. And that was for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the preaching. Of the word of God to the church. This is a gift that God has left with the church. Before he ascended on high. He wanted to make sure. That you and I had some equipment. So that we could prosper by Can you say amen? That we could prosper. So Jesus said the spirit is upon me to preach. Not like just another rabbi. And you're saying you're just you're just rabbi yeshua take it easy but he had this thing called if we get it right smeka smeka and then he had authority when he preached he didn't just talk like the other rabbis and they repeated over the talmud and different things he didn't he didn't just go into the oral traditions he never used the Mishnah he didn't need oral tradition because he had the alive word of God uh, the Spirit of the Lord had anointed him to what to preach and so I would love to have set in just one service, one setting one Gathering, where the Lord stood up on the mount and He gathered them around and began to preach to them where He backed the boat up into the little bay of the inlet there and the people were all sitting down and He stood on the bow of the boat and He began to preach to them. I would love to have been sitting in there. Not one greater preacher has ever arisen in the earth than the Lord Jesus Christ. Highly anointed to preach the Word of God. Wow. Some say, I would love to hear the heard the apostles. I would too. But to hear the Lord Himself must have been an awesome, an awesome event in their lives. So He used three kinds, three aspects of preaching, and so let's go into those real quick and, and just look at those. The gospel. is also called in the scripture, it's called the gospel of God. It's called the gospel of Christ. It's called the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you will find no difference at all in any of those statements. It is the gospel of God. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God into salvation. The gospel really, and I've I've heard it uh, described this way, they even published a Bible that said good news. I don't know if this is years ago. I think I was very young. They came out with a Bible called good news. That's what the word euangelion means. It's a declaration of the good news, but it's more than just good news. It is good news. It's a good proclamation. The gospel, the gospel of God is the same as the gospel of Jesus Christ. What the Lord would preach was the same message that God had inspired the apostles to preach, the church to preach. It's the same gospel any way you look at it. But the gospel would be the narrative of those that are lost in sin, bound by the wicked one, without hope, For recovery. With no hope. But are given an opportunity to receive mercy through the provision of God's incarnation into flesh, Jesus Christ. In other other words, you're hell bound. You are already going to destruction in your life. Every man left to himself will go to destruction. But the good news is this, Jesus saves. The good news is you were lost. The good news is you were in the kingdom of darkness, but you have been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the dear Son. And the point is, we have heard the joyful sound. We've heard the good news and we have received it because the good news is i was lost with no hope but the good news is jesus rescues sinners and you and i sit here this morning we are new and fresh and healed and redeemed by the lord because of that good news of the gospel this is what jesus preached this is what The disciples preached. It is the power of God into salvation. There is no other way to salvation. There's just one name. There's just one sacrifice. There is just one gospel. And that's about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Any other gospel isn't going to work according to this Bible. And I believe this word. Can you say amen? And other people believe other words and that's up to them. But I believe this word and my eternal destination is set in the fact that I was lost and that Jesus found me and set me free from the power of darkness. Can you say amen? This is the good news. The good news is, is that, that this gospel still has the power in it. 2,000 years ago Paul said it's the power of God into salvation. But right now, today, if there was someone lost in this building and they heard this word and turned to the Lord Jesus Christ, there is salvation for you. Because it hasn't changed, it hasn't waned, it hasn't gone down. I mean, people have, and ideas have, and theories have, and doctrines have. But the gospel of Jesus Christ maintains the power of salvation. It is the only salvation for mankind. So Paul says later, beware of other people preaching what he called another gospel. Mm. I'm afraid that maybe because it's so easy to go on TV now and the internet, YouTube, you can watch all kinds of preaching, all kinds of religious stuff, calling itself the gospel. But the criteria of the gospel is not what you think the criteria of the gospel lays in these pages. Can you say amen? And so beware of a gospel that uses Jesus as a jump-off point. I'm a little disturbed. We've seen some things recently. I've run into some things. I've been in church all my life. And I've run into some things in the last three weeks that I've never heard before. In Christian rank. In holiness rank. I just never even heard it before. I thought I'd heard everything. Isn't that amazing? About the time you think you know it all, something else is going to come up. I really didn't know some of these things that they're talking about. But you take Jesus out of the gospel, and it will cease to exist. And you will replace it with a lot of other things you might replace it with some really good ideas and theories and theological points but i think that that when you get there and you have lost the power of the one who makes this gospel go. The power of the one who actually does the saving, who does the delivering. If you have lost him, you have a gospel that's empty and void. It's no more than what you've caused it to be religiously. Your denomination, your organization is worth nothing without Jesus Christ being the center of your gospel. And so preach that. This is what he preached. Preach that. The second thing that I want to cover and look at just for a minute is he preached remission. And might I add that each one of these aspects brings deliverance. If you read Isaiah 61, Luke 4, it brings deliverance, deliverance to the blind, blinded eyes that don't know the Lord. It brings deliverance to those who are captive, held captive in sin and captive in a prison. It brings deliverance to those who have been crushed, torn down. Just by life, the things that have happened beat them down. It brings deliverance. What does? The preaching of the word of God. And so remission. Did the Lord preach remission? Oh, yes, he did. The word remission here is the same word that is used in uh, Acts 2.38, talking about remission of sin, because I believe that the Lord Himself only holds the power of remission of sin. Remission means to be loosed, loosed from a debt, loosed from a charge, loosed from a penalty. And if you're anything like me. Your mind and the enemy, the devil, whoever. Will readily remind you of your failures in the past. He will readily remind you that you were once this and you were once that. But I want to talk to you about remission this morning. Because remission is a loosing from that. And even though you were wrong, and even though you were gone astray, and even though you did things that you're ashamed of and wish had never happened in your life, they are not part of you anymore. You might remember some of those things, and and the enemy might bring those up to you, but you are loosed from those things, and what God loses is gone. They don't belong to you anymore. They're not part of you anymore. You are loose. You are free. You're free from the charge against your life. You're free from the penalty of sin and death and hell. You are free because Jesus Christ knows how to remit sin. Thank God. Let's give Him a hand clap right there. Thank you, Lord. So a large part in His preaching he wants to show them. Don't you know the son of man has power to forgive sin? And so he says to the crippled man, thy sins be forgiven thee. And everyone said, how can he forgive sin? He's the only one that for, can forgive sin. He's the only source of freedom. You can never be free from your sin through religion. You can never be free from your sin through prayer and Bible reading. There is one source of deliverance from sin, and that is the remission that He has given us. He is the wonderful, glorious Savior who took us when we were unworthy and unclean and dirty, and He has washed us in His blood. Can you say amen? And now He took our sins which were vile, and He has cast them away. From us, and he said, "Oh, I, one of these days, I'll really, I'll really feel clean. If you've come to Him, you should start feeling clean right now. I'm not going to wait till some other time. I'm free. I'm clean in Jesus Christ right now. John three sixteen. Everybody knows John three sixteen, 17. God loved the world in this manner, that He gave the begotten Son, already begotten, in the earth, gives that begotten Son to the cross, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but can have eternal life. For God sent not a Son into the world to condemn the world, they were already condemned, but that through Him, they may have this gift of life. See, the purpose of remission. Somebody said, well, God loves people so much, He wouldn't destroy anybody. No, you're destroying yourself. He doesn't have to destroy. You destroy yourself. You send yourself to a wrong place. He has made provision that you and I can have Remission and redemption in our life. Matthew 26:27. In the last night, he takes the cup and taking the cup, giving thanks, he gave to them saying, "Drink, drink, it, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the New covenant, which concerning many, is poured out for the remission of sins. See, remission of sins, and Yeshua's blood, the Lord Jesus, is inseparable. You can't have one without the other. You cannot have remission of sin without the blood of Jesus Christ. You cannot have the blood of Jesus Christ in your life, applied to your life, that your sins still have a hold. Because He remits them and He looses them from us. Oh, it's a wonderful work. Power of our Lord Jesus Christ. So how could we get rid of sin without Him? Can we... Can we get it through works? Well maybe if I do enough Hail Marys. Do enough beads. Do enough disciplines in my life. Turn over a new leaf enough times. Then my sins will be gone. No, your sins will still be there. You're just taking a vacation from them. Come on, Amen. He just took vacation. But when he loses, gone at last. Gone at last. My sins are gone at last. Oh, I had a a bad, bad run, but my sins are now gone at last. They're not part of me anymore. They have been remitted from me. So how do I get those sins remitted? By water? No, according to the Lord, His Last Supper, He said, My blood is the remission of sin. So how do I get that? By, by, by going into the baptismal tank. No, you go into the baptismal tank because you want to show yourself and the world around you that Jesus is now your Lord. Well, how do I get those sins remitted? Maybe I could get church membership. That'll do it. I go see the priest. And the priest can remit my sins for me. I would hate to put my eternal destination in the hands of a lion priest. Don't come to me to get your sins forgiven. I can't do it. I can pray with you. I can pray for you. But only He can remit your sin. It's what He preaches. Hebrews 9, chapter twenty-second verse says, Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And so it's connected tightly together, the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's why in this church, we sing the blood songs. We, we keep it in place. And we remember the Lord's Supper. We remember His death. Because it's all about His cleansing us by His blood. We are bought by the blood of God. We are bought. We are purchased. We are clean. We are free Woman. I loose you means more than just your sickness is gone. I loose you from that spirit of infirmity. And I would say to you this morning, if you have been bound, if you are bound, there is one condition that you can get right, and that is to believe, that is to repent, and that is to accept and receive the work of Jesus Christ over your life. The blood of Jesus, the power of the cross, the power of salvation will set you free. Amen. So come on, church. Let's preach that. See, we've got a lot of stuff to preach besides the the newest, latest social issue. Young preachers in this church, I want you to know something. We are not here to preach social issues. We're not here to address them. In passing, we might do so. That's not our topic our topic is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And so we keep that because this is what He preached. This is what we will preach. Now I want to touch on the last one, Revelation. And, oh my goodness, we have so much time left. I do that every Sunday because I just want you to just hang right in there until we're done. So, the topic of Revelation. Well, did the Lord preach Revelation? Now, so... When we think of the word revelation, we, maybe our mind drifts over to the last book of the New Testament, right? The book of Revelation. Uh, actually, that Greek word is apocalypsis, which really is not where I'm going. Revelation. Revelation is a, it's a weighty thing. I think in prophecy a lot of people wait for revelation of of the Lord in prophecy. Um, And that's why you can be a no-name preacher and start prophesying, and people come out of the woodwork. I don't care if you're right or not. In fact, if you're wrong on a lot of your prophecies, it's better. Just give you a clear example. You know, we've said it before. We had a man who preached in our pulpit, not here, but in Anderson, that he was, you know, had a church probably about this size for many, many years, but he slipped into prophecy, and he used the prophetic sort of as a revelation tool. Three years ago now, he began to hit the chords of patriotism with prophecy begin prophesying that Trump was going to win the election, that Trump would be the president for the next four years, and on and on and on, and if it doesn't happen, I'll quit preaching and get a job. People begin to stream to that. And it was false. It did not happen. The answer to it is, Trump's the president in God's eyes. No, Trump's not making the decisions. In fact, if they can, they're going to put Trump in jail. And we know what all that is about. We, we understand all of that. That kind of prophecy is not the revelation of Jesus Christ. Even if it did come to pass, it's not the revelation. The real, true spirit of prophecy in the Scripture is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not the revelation of events that are going to happen in the earth. It's not, it's, it's not about, you know, oncoming disasters and things and and something god can do that i know that's, that he can do that he has in the past i'm not saying that but that is not the revelation of jesus christ that might be a warning to somebody that might be something you know that we need to understand what's happening around but that's not the revelation of jesus christ let me tell you about the revelation of jesus christ it is about him it's through him it's in him it's by him what we read this morning was paul under the anointing of the power of of the Holy Spirit of God begin to reveal to us something about Him He is the image of the invisible God He is the first He is the protoss He is the, the, the firstborn He's the firstborn among the church He's the firstborn among the dead He is the firstborn among the kingdom and of Him there is many brethren of Him there is this gospel of Him there is this church that He is the head of and so Paul begins to pour out a revelation of Jesus Christ not just talking about some churchy stuff he's talking about revealing Christ to the church so many 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 years ago the Lord began to deal with me and I guess if I look at what I do and what I've done I've tried to reveal Jesus Because I know something. If he gets in your life, you're going to be okay. If church gets in your life, you're going to be this. Up one day, down the next. Jumping for joy one day, ready to commit suicide the next. But if you get Jesus in your life, your whole world is going to change. Oh, thank you, Lord. Can you say amen to the Lord right there? And so we preach Jesus. So did the Lord preach revelation about Himself? I have to say yes. Here He is, a man that looks like any other man. They said, we know His family. We know His brothers, His sisters, His mother. We know all those people. Who does He think He is? He's just one of us. You know, He's a rabbi, though. And he's a good man, and he's a rabbi. And they would go that far with it. But Jesus began to declare himself, and I'm sorry in the King James Bible, you're not going to see this very much. But he says over and over and over, I am. And see, that's not just some churchy thing. The other rabbis are not saying this. But when he says, I am, it connects him to Moses in a fiery bush on a backside of a desert. Who do you say, who are you, God? I am that I am. And so here's this Jesus trying to reveal something to them. They don't know it. And many of them don't understand it. And many of them don't see it until much, much later. But he keeps on saying over and over. And this is one of the reasons why I studied the Greek New Testament. Because you will find it over and over that he will tell them, I am. And I don't know why they don't get it. I don't, I don't see why they can't understand it. Maybe it's because they know who I am is in, in the Jewish uh, religion and, and and in their thought They know who I am as And now Jesus comes telling them I am And so maybe that's a little too hard A little too big of a reach for them But they'll figure it out They'll learn it And and by the time that the Lord uh, is gone and, and has ascended into heaven They will begin to understand What he meant when he said I am He tries to show them the revelation They can't receive it But to as many as did receive it, He gave them the power to become the sons and daughters of God. So when He says, I am, later on they'll look back. Peter looks back. I was with him. I, I didn't understand it. That's why, that's why when he went to trial, I forsook him and said, I don't even know who he is. Because he didn't get that part of revelation in his life. Thomas didn't believe that Jesus was God. He said, I won't believe he rose from the dead until I see it. Right? He didn't believe Jesus was God. If he had believed that Jesus was I Am, there would have been no question about him coming out of the grave. He wouldn't have had a single question. They'd have said, Hey, you missed the meeting the other night. The Lord was there. And he said, Oh, no. What did I do? No, he said, I don't believe you. He didn't, he didn't know that Jesus was I Am. He didn't know it. But when the Lord appears and Thomas was there the next time and the Lord says, Thomas... Come and see. Come and see my hands. See the scars. Feel my side. Thomas just fell down and he said an amazing thing. My Lord, which they called him Lord. They understood him as Lord. They just didn't understand him as God. But he said to Jesus, my Lord and my God. See, so finally got the revelation of who Jesus is. He's not a sandal wearing, robe wearing, um, just another rabbi walking down the road. He is the I am. But you're not going to see that casually. What you're going to see is a man that looks like any other man and acts like any, talks like any other man in, 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 in just the, the regular day-by-day routine. And, and so they need an identifier to even go arrest him because he looks like a common man. But when he speaks, when he says to them, and they come out to get him, and they said, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, I am. And they fell back on the ground. Don't you think that would be enough? They just don't understand revelation. And I'm sorry, the modern day church does not understand the revelation of Jesus Christ and does not want the revelation of Jesus Christ. Self-help, oh, give us all the self-help. Give us all the feel-good stuff. Give us all the little pampering. I mean, Quote to us verses that make us feel better. Don't give us the revelation of Jesus Christ, but that's the opposite of what we need to do. This is what the Lord, the third aspect of what He preached. He preached the acceptable year of the Lord, and they didn't even know what that was. They didn't understand, this is the day the Lord has made, and I will rejoice and be glad. And it was really talking about the day of His crucifixion. They understood none of that. They needed revelation in their life. The church needs a fresh revelation of Jesus Christ. We don't need a revelation of politics. We don't need a revelation of the newest, latest thing that's happening in the world. What we need is a revelation of our Lord and our Savior, the one who has redeemed us and remit our sin. Oh, that I might know Him. That I might know Him in the power of His resurrection, can the church say. And I might know Him in His sufferings and His fellowship of His suffering. Jesus in John 16. Stay with me a few more minutes. Jesus in John 16. The last night of His earthly being. He said to His disciples, I yet have much to tell you, but you're not able to bear it now. However, however, When the spirit of truth comes. See, Jesus is telling them on that same night, he said, I'm going away, but I'm coming back. The spirit of truth. When the spirit of truth comes, the spirit of truth will begin to show you all things concerning me. So I want to be careful right here. I was raised... And the opposite of what I'm going to say right now. When the church gets to the place that it goes off in Holy Ghost. Now, now watch it. I'm just using a terminology here. Holy Ghost. I don't like that word ghost. That's not scriptural. It's, it is spirit. But when the church turns the corner and takes off in Holy Ghost and ends up over here somewhere, And that Holy Ghost is not revealing Christ. Got the wrong ghost. Oh, I believe there's a ghost out there that's doing a lot of stuff, but is not revealing Jesus Christ. But the Lord, here is how we will know the true Spirit of God. The true Spirit of God will not speak of itself in that way but will always bring us to Christ and so the Lord says this that will glorify me so if we're off in Holy Ghost somewhere and it's not glorifying just not bringing revelation of Christ in our life we're in the wrong place we cannot leave Christ out of the equation somebody say amen We cannot go on to higher heights and leave Christ down. He's just foundational. No, He's not just the foundation. He's the all in all. He's the everything. He is the head. He is the, the one that is over the direction of everything having to do with the kingdom. Everything having to do with godliness. He is the head of it all. Can you say amen? And so what was left on the table when the Lord left, when the Lord went up? What was left on the table was the revelation of him. So open your Bibles back up, and I, I just want to complete this uh, last um, of this chapter. This, this is so powerful, so powerful. We read 26. Let's read 27 again. No, let's read 26 again. The mystery, having been hidden from the ages and from the generations, but now was revealed. To his saints. To the sinner they need to hear the gospel. To the sinner they need to hear the redemption of Jesus Christ. But to the saints. You need to hear the revelation. Of Jesus Christ. To whom God desired to make known. What are the riches of the glory. Of this mystery among the nations. Which is. Christ in you, the hope of glory. See how it never leaves? It doesn't go somewhere else, deviate, no. No, God wants to show the mystery. He wants to show. And so this word mystery here is not like a mystery movie. Oh, this is very mysterious. No, that's not what this word mystery in the Greek is about, Mysterial. This word is about, it's kept secret kind of held under wraps I know some of y'all don't know this but you don't need to say everything you know all at once right (laughs) bless God I speak my mind why don't you hold a little bit back just in reserve right so the Lord is going to speak to us and he's going to reveal to us it's left on the table for us Christ in us the hope of glory. And so many things are kept in reserve for the saints. They're hidden under what the scripture calls mystery. If he revealed all things to us at once, we would stop pursuing him. Talk to the saints right now we'd quit pursuing him and we would start take it up with something else if he just poured out everything that he was that's why he tells the disciples he said i've got many things to tell you but you can't bear it right now and let me tell you church he has many things to tell us but you can't bear them all right now you can't get the whole plethora of everything that he is in revelation god is going to build us piece by piece brick by brick thought by thought precept by precept, concept by concept. He's not going to give it to you all in one Sunday. I know we've tried to do that in our evangelistic approach is give everything that God has in one Sunday, but it's not going to happen to the church. But He's going to build us up in our most holy faith. Anybody ever heard that? Paul says, I pray that you grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus. What do you mean, Paul? Grow in the grace of knowledge I've already been to the altar. Well, that now qualifies you to begin to understand the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so, ever in front of us is the revelation of Jesus Christ. But it's only attained, listen now, it is only attained by those who do hunger and thirst. And I'm sorry to disappoint you, but God is not going to force his stuff on you. Just not, he's not doing it. What did he say? In one of the Beatitudes, right? Blessed are those that do hunger. Now I got hungry one time and I come and ate at the Lord's table and it was really good and I feel good about it no but yet there is this desire in me Paul the same writer says forgetting all those things which were behind and I mean we've had some great things how many has had some really good things happen in your spiritual life awesome stuff and but forgetting what's behind pressing pressing That speaks of hunger and thirst, right? And uh, the revelation of Christ only comes little by little to those who are hungry and thirsty after him. Come on, Christian church, preach that. We've lost our way. We forgot what anointed preaching was about. We missed it. So we get a dude up there sitting on a stool. He's got flip-flops, shorts, cup of coffee. And he's going to share. Prink, Not listening. I need an anointed word of God. I don't need an ex-hippie to share. Not going to help my life. I need something that's going to get down in my spirit. And you may leave out of the house of God wondering at times. I think you should. And you should say, Lord, I, I didn't understand that totally what was said. But but Lord, begin to show me. Begin to reveal. And that hunger begins after your heart. And it's like, I can't wait to get there next time. Next time we have a man, I can't wait to get in there because God's going to reveal something again in my spirit. I'm, I'm going to feel that charge in my spirit. And so the saints, don't go to sleep. Don't get lazy. But hunger and thirst after the revelation righteousness of Jesus Christ continually in your life, not just once a year or occasionally, but that hunger to say, "God, I'm coming, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm pursuing." I may not understand everything, and thank God I look back and say, "But I loved the Lord back then, but but I've come through some places where I can see some things more clear now and." And begin to understand some things a little better in my life. And I thank you, Lord, for it. Can you say amen? And so Paul's just going to finish with this, and I'm going to finish with it too. We're both going to finish. Somebody put a period after the end of, end of this next verse, and, and so that's where I'm going to stop too. But Here's Paul, whom we announce, this Christ, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present... Every man full grown in Christ Jesus. He's got the wrong idea. He should have been preaching to see how much money he could get. To see if he could get another yacht. A summer house. You know, God wants to make us rich. I don't see any revelation of Christ in all of that foolishness. Do you see anything there? I don't. Paul says, I have labored, and then he goes on and says this, though, which I also labor. He uses this word, struggling, working according to the working of him who works his power in me. A real preacher, a real preacher of the word of God. That's his intention is that the people may come full grown in Jesus Christ. And that's it. We're preaching for any other purpose than that? We've missed the boat. It's so that we may look back after all those years, and I've been preaching about 28 years, you know, we started way, way back in Anderson. And I thought about that. What was my purpose? What is my purpose in preaching? And I can see it out here this morning. It's people that have come to know the Lord. And their children now have come up. And and I'm preaching to them that Christ is formed in them. And that and and that that they'll come to a full grown experience in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what real preaching. This is what Jesus preached. It's what the apostles preached, what the early church preached, is what we're going to preach here. Can you say amen? Would you stand? God bless you. Thank you, Lord, for your word this morning. Thank, I pray that we'll be challenged by it. I pray, Lord, that our young, we have young preachers here, Lord. We have, we have men who have been preaching and then others who will be preaching, Lord. And, and I want them to know that our preaching style is not so much how we deliver, but it is that anointed word of God that comes out of our mouth, the same word that came out of your mouth, Lord. And that's what you have styled for your church. You have styled that for us. That is what is effective. Nothing else is going to do the job. And I pray, Lord, that that we'll accept that, that we'll cheer that, we'll celebrate that in our life, Lord, that anointed preaching makes us alive in the Word of God. And we just thank you for it, Jesus. All the church said amen.